Greetings in Jesus' name to each one here this morning. Glad to see everyone here that is here. And aren't you glad that uh, <clears throat> a life worth living and joy in the Lord isn't dependent on large numbers? Or only those in big cities would have the joy. And you know, I found out long ago that big numbers uh, can militate against fervency in the Lord, actually. I've been to some big churches. And uh, sometimes you're really disappointed in the spiritual zeal and fervency there. And I've been to small churches, and I've been blessed by, uh, you know, if you're a smaller group and you love the Lord and you have a zeal for Him, you know, it, it's, it's a wonderful fellowship. You have wonderful fellowship with the Lord, and you have wonderful fellowship with one another, and it's a real blessing. And I know that uh, that can be our portion, and we want that to be our portion today. And, you know, uh, it's a joy serving the Lord. It's, it's a real blessed opportunity we have to live in this land of freedom, to be able to worship the Lord as we see fit. And so worship is, is a real blessing. In fact, we are, we do uh, worship something. It's just what is it? And praise God, we can be here to worship God and to follow Jesus. And that's a tremendous blessing that we have. And so I'd like to start here by reading in Romans 5, excuse me, Romans 8, starting at verse 5, some uh, spiritual aspects that uh, we uh, that are a blessing to look at and to enter into. Thank you for that song, Brother uh, David. Dave, appreciate that very much. You know, we want to look in to the Word and look at, at His righteousness and His Word and how I can be what God wants me to be. So the Lord laid a message on my heart that, I'm telling you, you, you generally, this, I'll just be honest with you, the speaker generally always should let God uh, look in his heart first, and he grades himself after a while. God grades him. And this is not something I get a high grade on, I can tell you. And yet I want to be this way, okay? Some things are aspirations. And godly aspirations are always good. Even better yet, a godly attainment is better, okay? I'll say that right up front. And yet, so when we have those aspirations, we need to have goals that are godly. And when we do that, by His grace, He wants us to be able to live this way. So Romans 8, verse 5, where it says, But they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, and they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for, the, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so, if so be that ye walk, excuse me, if so be that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of God, he is none of his. It says very plainly, uh, there's two dimensions. We walk either after the flesh or we follow the spirit of God. But there's a lot of dynamics which make this journey difficult or make it good, okay? Make it a blessing, uh, a blessing to God and to ourselves. Uh, so Philip Keller, he asked some questions uh, in a book that I read one time, and he said, uh, and I think these questions are good for us to think about fairly regular, uh, do I really belong to him? Do I really belong to him? And, you know, you think about belong to, to, to Jesus. Do I really belong to him? Or is, is he 
my, am I his property? Okay. <laughs> you know, if you have some property and you, you take care of it and you know, you manage it. So he's taking care of managing me. You know, do I belong to him? Well, if it's going to work out well, B would mean am I, what am I, what B, who am I, B, do I belong to him? And if my being, if I am his, I'm possessed with his spirit. I'm following him tenaciously. In other words, it's not an external thing. When, when his spirit resides in us, I am his child. I am changed from the inside out, and I am being what he wants me to be. Now, that's a big challenge, but that's good. It's, it's the way he wants us to live. And then long, am I longing after him? It's interesting, it's about our lesson, hunger and thirst after righteousness. So am I being in him, following him, I'm his possession, do I long to follow him and be like him? Do I really belong to him? That's, that's a good question. Do I recognize his right to me? Okay, if I belong to him, then he has right to mow the yard as often as he needs to. He has right to dig up the weeds as often as he needs to. He has right to change the landscape like he wants it. You know what I mean? Now, this is, we talk about property. <laughs> Do I recognize his right to me? Do I respond to his authority and acknowledge his ownership? <laughs> That's a challenging question in our life because it's always good when he agrees with me. But how about when his path and his uh, directives are different than my desires or what I wish to be? You know, uh, in other words... Uh, Sometimes we like to be, I'm tempted to be like a co-driver. Now, I don't know, if, uh, most of you probably already had children. You had to train to drive. If you didn't train them, it was a scary situation. And even if you did train them, it's a lot of times it was scary anyhow. And, uh, and you know, I, I remember the days, you know, you go down the road and you're going 55. And you know, since the speed limit is 55, they think every curve, you, evidently you can go 55 because that was the speed limit. And also, you go around the curve. And you know, you're, you're, you're squeezing, find out anything you're around, you're squeezing real tight, and your knuckles are getting white, and all of a sudden your mouth becomes active. Slow down! You know why? They need the co driver. That's why they need it. Well, see, Jesus don't need a co driver. But you know, so many times we, we act like one. Well, you know, I've also seen a particular. A, a situation that isn't very desirable. Have you ever been a driver when there was somebody in the back seat that thought they knew how to drive a lot better than you did? <laughs> back seat drivers. Boy, if they aren't a pain in the neck. Uh, back seat drivers. But you know, that's, that's the way we are where Jesus tells us to give up something, to go somewhere, or to do something we really don't want to do. Especially give up something that we felt we've already legitimized is okay. You know, we say, oh, Really, you want that? That's backseat driver. Backseat driver. You know what I found out, really? I know this analogy don't work very well, but if we're going to make it real well, we just might as well get in the trunk of the car where you don't need to see, you let the driver drive. <laughs> you know the trip's going to be right because who knows us better than ourselves than Jesus? 
Who knows what you need in your life better than any, knows your heart even better than you know it yourself. Jesus does. Amen? Jesus does. You know, so we can trust the journey to Him. Amen? Yeah, you know, so when He says, okay, you need, uh, you know, you need to be doing this this evening. And you think, oh, I want to take it easy. Maybe you never say that. Maybe you never think this, but this is, uh, some things that happened to people before, you know, and I had this plan and he has a, another plan. You know, don't you like when you have those divine appointments and you've really amounted to something? You know what I mean by divine appointments? You haven't experienced them. Yeah, that's right. A lot of times divine appointments conflict with personal interest or selfish interest. You've noticed that? Yeah. So just enjoy the ride in the trunk. Because he don't need our, your, our advice, my advice, to tell him which way to go. He don't need my advice telling him what to give up. And, and, and this road looks too hard. Yes. Do I respond to his authority and acknowledge his ownership? Lovely question. Worth thinking. Do I find freedom and complete fulfillment in this arrangement? Well, that's why I talked about the car in the trunk. Because if you're in the trunk... And you're just, Lord, wherever you want to go, I'm going to go. I'm not going to give any advice now. You, I know I don't, you don't need my help. And we know these things. You know, we all know these things. But in real life, you know, we like to help out the driver, don't we? Jesus is the one that cares about us. He wants your life and mine to amount to something for him. Not in modern uh, American thinking, but for him. And what a glory and what, what a blessing to realize that my life, just as an unworthy child of his, can be a blessing to him and his kingdom if I follow him. If I follow him. Okay, do I sense a purpose and deep contentment because I am under his direction? And this really gets you. Do you like the trunk? In other words, it's like you're a little stuffy. You don't have any say. No. Because my life's all for his glory. Yeah. So do I do I sense a purpose and deep contentment because I am under his direction? Now you can see, now you can see this person is having a good life. You know, they've just, they turn his ownership over to another and they're just resting and reposing in the leading of the Lord and living for his glory. Wow, what a blessed life. Should be one of the Beatitudes, shouldn't it? Well, it's working it out. Another question, do I find rest and repose besides a definite sense of exciting adventure? Does that wake you up? In belonging to him. Wow, how lovely. Hmm. So what is your goal? What is your goals? Yeah, I think what I just talked about is where God wants us. I know it is, and every saint wants to be here, but I'm telling you, friends, this is battleground. I'm going to do that. This is battleground. If it isn't for you, it's probably because, well, let's just acknowledge it. It is battleground, okay? That's where it is. A long time ago, uh, Isaiah, in Isaiah's time, the Lord was looking for a certain type of person. And it's one that relates a lot to this. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. 
Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the place that ye ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath my hand made and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is a poor and a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. You know, we say man can build buildings and you can build temples and churches and whatever. And, you know, when God's people there, God is there. But, you know, he's saying, look, man builds these things and, and God provides them. But he said, look, I'm looking for a person that's special. And praise God, every one of us can be that special person. We can be that special person. And he said, I'm looking for that person. I'm, I'm looking, I tell you. And God, we don't want him to have to look all over, over the place. He wants us just to find us. And he sure does when we're doing this. Even to a man is a poor and a contrite spirit. Now, I don't know how poor and contrite you think you are. But some people like to talk about humility. But let me tell you, if you're a poor and contrite spirit, you will be a humble person. You will be. This is one under. This is an attitude of the heart. And it trembleth at my word. <clears throat> that's interesting to note this person the they're not they're not deciding life the way they want it to be uh, they're not calling all the shots in fact they're not calling the shots at all this person loves the word of god because it's god's word to their life to their heart to their spiritual uh being they love the word of god in such a way that when he speaks it is spoken. It is done. They don't argue with God, okay? The person that trembles at God's word, <clears throat> that's a challenge today when almost everything is up to debate in God's word. Have you noticed that in general, Christian, uh, things are up for debate and discussion. Well, when we read God's word, I get the idea, thus saith the Lord. And it is spoken, it is done. That's authoritative, right? Look, if we're under his uh, jurisdiction and we're submissive to him, when he speaks, it's it's truth, it's law, and it is right. And it, what a blessing to realize that, that we can read the word and be fed and blessed, but it also gives directions. It's a lamp unto our feet. And if we debate every, or just a few things, you know, things, we're saying, look, God, you know, have you ever thought of this? You know, to think that God needs to take my thinking and needs to adapt his word to my way of life, well, it's kind of sad. It's really sad, actually. Uh, no wonder the psalmist said in Psalms 119 and 161, my heart uh, standeth in awe at thy word. My, my heart standeth in awe at thy word. You know, that that really helps me be what I should be. That really helps me understand who God is and what Jesus cares about. That helps me cheerfully submit to him. No wonder it says in Isaiah, <clears throat> excuse me, just a few chapters earlier, 57, 15, where it says, Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. 
So God Almighty that lives in heaven and they can see everything and everyone that is holy, he has two residency. He said, I dwell in the high and holy place. And then there's another place with him also that is contrite and humble. I don't know how it looks, how you actually feel about your own humble walk. You know, does my words, do my actions, does my lifestyle reflect humility? I don't know. But he does say, I want to revive a certain block of the people, and I'm going to live within them, in other words, and I'm going to revive the humble, and I revive the heart of the contrite ones. <clears throat> contrite? To crumble. Means to crumble. To crumble. Hmm. To crumble. That be way you uh, describe your uh, your carnal desires. Just put it the way it is. Can we put it right where it's at? You know, because he don't want it to crumble us spiritually. He wants to build us up. But see, really, in, in, in true essence, God cannot help us be and make us what we want to be as long as we live in fleshly desires. That's why I read Romans 8 first, okay? Because as long as I, you know, I got to have my pleasures, I got to have my worldly desires fulfilled, I got to, you know, have and fill in the blanks of your temptations, you know. If I got to have that to feel good and have a good life, then we, then he isn't going to revive me. He's not going to give strength in me the way he wants to be, to crumble. They need to be to crumble. This is a quality of spiritual life. It brings a certain uniqueness. Um, Brokenness, brokenness as well. So that's the title of the message. The way to heaven, brokenness. You know, that's a little strange. Because I think about this, you know, when my wife is washing dishes, or, or when I'm drying dishes, may I should say, and I drop a dish and it's broken, it's a negative thing. It's pretty negative. She never ever says, way to go, break a few more. Never has done that for me. You know? And, and so when I work with tools on the farm and when they break, it's, n it's not a pleasant thought. It's just not a pleasant thought. How do you like when things break down on you, you know? But, and that's why it takes the mind of Christ to understand what he wants in us. Actually, he wants our selfish dreams shattered and crumbled and broke. Yeah? Yeah, when things break, <clears throat> it's a mess. You know what I mean? you got to be sweeping up the glass and, and fixing up things. You know, it's a mess. Wouldn't it be a good day when, when God could work in my, our hearts and, and we just say, look, that selfish desire has got to go just break it, crumble it, out of here. I don't want it. I want to radiate of your holiness and glory. And, and dear people, those two are direct contracts to one another. We will not, we will not radiate of God's glory and presence and holiness and love and kindness and, and just his total presence, uh, bringing love to us, uh, through us and to us and through us the way we would if I'm living for myself. And yet, I tell you, it, 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 it's just such a big challenge. Brokenness 
is God's solution to pride. And you know what? Every Christian struggles with pride. Can I just be heads up, include you with me? (laughs) Every Christian struggles with pride. It's just not so easy to sit there and say no to self as we'd like it to be. But he really does. He wants us (coughs) not to... uh, not to live in pride and selfishness. See, Satan was cast out of heaven because of pride. And it seems like he knows that if he can get us Christians to fall in, in being self-centered and proud, you know what? We're going to lose it spiritually. We're going to lose it spiritually. And he knows that. So self runs in opposition to godliness. Now if we want to mount to something for Jesus. And we, we really do. And we realize that it's, uh, it's him within us that only brings any goodness. The psalmist uh, related to this where he said in Psalms 51, verses 16 and 17, Psalms 51, verses 16 and 17 says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, or else would I give it. Thou desirest not burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O Lord, thou will not despise. Broken means to burst. Uh, it's been the same word has been translated other places: break, broken, crush, destroy, hurt, quench. So, how is my spirit? How am I contrite? Contrite means to collapse. Broken and a contrite spirit, the Lord uses. The Lord wants that. And uh, here we see this is a type, this is a type of spirit that's not seen that much today. Uh, verse three also relates a little bit to this. And what we all know verse three says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. So when we as Christians, we as people realize our sinfulness and we come to the Lord we realize that and and we uh, we realize that in ourselves we are we are not of any value to Jesus in ourselves we have no goodness to bring to Jesus good works will never do it and so of course we know that David was relating to his sin with Bathsheba here of adultery but he was broken for his I acknowledge my transgression uh, and my sin is ever before me. That's one of the main ways, uh, one good way that we can uh, uh, show a broken spirit is acknowledging sin in our lives. In other words, so the question would be, how long has it been since I sinned? Okay. Well, you know, some of you might go weeks. You might even go months if you're really good. But then how long has it been since you was really truly broken and contrite before God for your sin? See what I mean? You know, this, this brings a level of repentance and remorse and repentance that is not seen much today. This, uh, when a person truly acknowledges their sin and <coughs> God works in their heart and forgives them their sin and they want to forsake it, and move on in victory, it's not a shallow confession and living in chronic sin. This is one of the solutions for chronic sin. And uh, the devil wants us to be 
constantly struggling. Have you ever felt that way? You know, man, I'm just struggling. And, you know, we have those times and we do that. And, uh, he, and the devil loves that because the more you just feel down and, un, and, 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 and unforgiving and, and you live in there and you're just a pushover for the devil. I mean, that's what it ends up being. You know, all of a sudden, it becomes a way of life. And that's very sad. And Jesus cares about that. Well, see, he's saying, look, if you're broken and contrite before me, you're going to acknowledge your sin, you're going to repent of your sin, and you're going to be forgiven. You're going to live in peace before God. You're going to be empowered because he revives the heart of the contrite and humble ones. Friends, that can be us. That's what God wants us to live in. That's what he wants us to have. Brokenness shows when sin or wrong is exposed, uh, there is godly sorrow and a clear, humble repentance. And that, that's uh, just amazing that God wants us to repent. Getting rid of sin is to be released of it and the bondage of sin and to be put back together. Talking about brokers, he, see, the one thing about being back together by the master. So he says, okay, you're broken. But he wants to put you back. He doesn't leave you just shattered. He puts you back together. A new creation. You might not look like that beautiful vase that you started out being. In fact, he don't even need your shiny, glittering vase. He don't even need it. He puts it back together for his glory. For his glory. You like that? That's what he wants. That's what he does. That's what he does. For his people. No wonder it says in Psalms 147.3, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. What a beautiful thought. Friends, we need to be healed of our sinful condition. And it's a blessing that Jesus cares that we are. And you know, we, we get hurts. We get wounded. We get, um, we get offended pretty easily. But he said, you know what, I'm going to take care of your problems because you know what? Well, a lot of the things that hurt us is because we're me-centered, okay? Have you ever thought about that? You know, when they cross my path, they don't do what I want them to do. They don't listen to me. I'm left out. They said something bad about It's me-centered. Ever think about that? Me-centeredness brings a lot of hurts. It's a bad life. It's a bad life. And so we're not me-minded, we're we-minded, Jesus-minded. That makes all the difference. So, <coughs> so how are we doing? Brokenness shows in a quick response to the Holy Spirit's conviction, not debating or delaying a response to his conviction. I'm glad we can be that way. So some, it's easy for us to think about, well... You know, I think as we all as youngsters, there's not many youngsters here this morning, that's for sure, but maybe middle-agedsters or even oldsters, however you, wherever you may fit, you should be somewhere in that bracket. Uh, you know, we kind of have dreams, we have aspirations. And, you know, um, and sometimes they can be kind of selfish. You know what I mean? And so how do we feel when our dreams don't come out? The way we want it, we, we really don't want them to. But see, God is leading. We're in the trunk, okay? Are we happy with that? Are we content with this arrangement? You know, if I'm going to be a sacrifice on the altar, not resisting new inspirations, 
but wanting to do his will. Uh, brokenness will show in being non-defensive. And then God's ways are much easier for me to describe to you. I'm saying, look, I, I want to do it your way, Lord. It's further described in Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, verses 3 to 7, where it says, <clears throat> Know you not that so, that so many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also shall, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, so shall we also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. I'm telling you, friends, that is a beautiful passage that I think all of us as Christians love to claim. Look, we love newness of life in Christ Jesus. I mean, <coughs> excuse me, the old way, it was a wretched way, you know, we live for self, and we like to do what we wanted to do. And you know what? It was empty. The morning after was always empty. You know, we needed more and more and do it more and more, and it was never fulfilling. But I praise God here. This newness of life is fulfilling today. We're content in Christ Jesus. We don't have to have more things. We want more of Jesus. And you know what? He wants more of us. And a broken person is the kind that gives him more, okay? You know, now you know why I needed this sermon, don't you? Because you know what? We don't always give up so easily, do we? Maybe you do. Hopefully you do. But when's the last time? I just encourage us in the last time that Jesus said something that you wasn't too fond of the thought. What happened after that, okay? <laughs> you know, he does say, look, <coughs> excuse me, I want more of you. One thing I noticed in the Christian walk that makes it very interesting, you know, you can feel like you've given him everything yesterday and he touches something else today. Have you ever noticed that? You thought everything was it, gone on the altar and all of a sudden he spoke to another and said, hmm, you know, this surrendered walk is every day, isn't it? You know what? Anytime that I keep back something that Jesus wants to take as his own and get rid of in my life, and I resist that, I am not being broken. See, I want to be revived. We must be revived. We must be taking in strength from Jesus. If I want that, I'm going to have, I'm going to have, to have a life that shows his surrender. You know, we like this resurrected walk, you know, that he had newness of life and, and, you know, likeness, his resurrection. You know, we want to be living the overcoming resurrected life and that power, but there's no resurrection before death. There's a death. Now, I really do wish, I really do wish that we come to Jesus, our carnal desires would die. Don't you wish? I do. But let me tell you, they resurrect themselves every morning too. 
I found out. You know, those kind of desires, you can say, Lord, I give them all to you. I'm following you. And you know what? That's for that moment. Okay? And it's a good commitment to keep as a regular commitment, isn't it? Because this afternoon or tomorrow, before long, you will be tempted by your fleshly desires. You really will. And they're real. They're real. And Jesus says, look, if you want to walk in that resurrection power, Jesus never resurrected without dying first. Nothing has. But praise God. You know, they didn't even recognize Jesus after he resurrected. Wouldn't it be nice that when we come to Jesus, we said, Lord, I'll give you everything. I'm just going to die to my carnal flesh. Do we say that? We say that. Maybe good if we would. Maybe good if we would. Maybe we haven't said it yet. Because I want to be made like you. And they look at you and say, Who are you? You're so different, I don't even know you. Wouldn't that be beautiful? You know, you're so loving. You're, you're such a wonderful peacemaker. You're such a loving person. You know, you used to be an old whatever and, you know, and defensive, gripey, selfish, whatever, you know, some of these things describe us. You know, you're so different. Something's changed. Yeah. Yeah. See, death comes first. Then we can be raised in his glory and remade. Yes, and friends, has a lot to do with brokenness. Has a lot to do with brokenness. Yeah, that's what he wants. So then we can be a living sacrifice, you know. We got to be willing to be broken to our selfish desires and let them die if we're going to radiate of his glory. Friends, when he takes over, your time is his time. Okay? And that counts in what you do in the evenings, what you do all day, okay? <laughs> and what you do in the evenings and your spare time. And the spare time thing, I wonder what God thinks spare time. You probably don't have any, but what you do with your evenings, okay, is your spare time. Or in the mornings, whatever you get spare time. Is it always to God's honor and glory? Yes, that's the life of the Christian. No wonder it says in John 12, 24, Barely, barely, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and sprout, no, and die, okay? Corn won't amount to anything does it dies first. And die. Now I can't find that reference. There it is. And die. It abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Oh, what a blessing. You and I can bring forth much fruit, but it's going to take death to our carnal nature, to our selfish desires, or just abides alone, just a selfish person. C.S. Lewis, he's an interesting writer. I'm not sure about his writing, but he sure does say things the interesting way. So I'll risk reading one to you that he wrote. I thought it was fairly, uh, well, just listen to this. The Christian way is different, harder, and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time or so much of your money or so much of your work. I want you. That's plain thing. That's what Uncle Sam is signs or for the army. I want you, okay? But this isn't the government. This is Jesus, okay? I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. 
You, does this make, now hopefully I said enough already. Now you understand what this means. Uh, that's pretty vicious, you know. Well, that's what he, that's what he wants. No half-hearted, no half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here or there. I want the whole tree down. Getting it? Okay, sure. Don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or to stop it. I want to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I'll give you myself. My own will will become yours. Praise God. That is a beautiful, I tell you. But there's a lot of pain and spiritual warfare to get to the last sentence, isn't it? Yes. But praise God with His help. And if we truly desire to see some of the spiritual dynamics of what it takes to live a submissive, humble walk before God, when we start realizing, at least if we get a little grasp of this, it makes the battle a little clearer. That's what we need. We need to know the enemy, okay? The enemy. No wonder Jesus said in the usual statement that we looked at in Sunday school, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor means a beggar, a pauper. You know why? You probably said in Sunday school, because we as Christians are needy creatures all the time. We need his presence, right? We need his cleansing, and we need his strength to have victory over the enemy. And then we have his presence. When we get his presence, when we walk that beautiful walk, guess what? We have the joy of the Lord. And it's in here and it's out here. Okay, in other words, it's seen, it's in the heart first, and then it's part of our life. Yes, Christians do that are that are content, yea, even happy, and love walking with Jesus and submitting to him, have a content, satisfied, pleasant, glowing countenance. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad we got that. So what are our goals in life? You know, do we want what our, what, what our self wants? See, brokenness gives a freedom for us to deal with sin. Because you think, you know, for people say, and I've talked to people and said, boy, you know, I, I you know, man, I, it's so hard for me to acknowledge you and stand at revival music because it, it just holds me so bad. If you don't stand, you have sin. That's way worse. That's defeat. That's living a decrepit life. And so we can, we can deal with sin. Brokenness makes us an asset to God and the church. Okay. Brokenness makes us easy to work with. Okay, so bless our peacemakers, okay? This person isn't saying, okay, now can I relate a little bit to church life? It needs to go this way, you know? And I know that each one of us, if you've been down the road a little bit, we think we know a lot. We tend to think we know a lot. I think the older you get, you really do know that you don't know that much. That's a good day. But anyhow, Going back to where it's at. You know, we think so. When we're making a decision, it needs to go this way. Brokenness makes us easy to work along with. Yeah. Because you realize that you might have something to contribute, which every believer does. But you know what? We get accumulative wisdom through the brotherhood and the Holy Spirit leads, and then we do it God's way. 
It might not be exactly the way you want it. Also, <coughs> it makes us uh, people, it makes us people that are easy to fit into a brotherhood, okay? And meaning, hey, you know, all, all good churches have standards. And we're not always nitpicking at a couple of standards. You know what? Brokenness helps us conform to a standard we don't understand. Amen. Brokenness helps us conform to certain principles that we don't understand. But thank God, our, the people, saints before us have made some standards that help safeguard us. Can we thank God for that? And then if we can have a broken spirit, say, Lord, I might not understand it. We don't understand everything. A humble person knows that they don't understand everything. But they are willing to say, okay, this is God working through brotherhood. God just don't speak to you and say, everything you say is right. It's we, we're we people, not me people. See, broken people, when they're in brotherhood, it's we as brotherhood. It's not me, it's we, God working through us. And you know what? We become assets in the brotherhood. We put our heart into brotherhood. We love the brotherhood. We conform to the standards of the brotherhood. And we work out God's will for brotherhood in my life. And so we can assist each other being to the glory of God. And that's why it's not a we, me thing. It's a we thing. Okay? How beautiful. No wonder, you know, I have to think, you've probably seen horses around a little bit. And, you know, horses are kind of pretty. You know, I go around, you see them, and they're there gallop, galloping around majestically in their, in their pasture, and they are beautiful specimens. But unless a horse, horse is broken and harnessed, it's just personal glory. What a beautiful horse. No good for nothing. Eat grass and horse feed. That's all they do. You know what I mean? But when they're broken and they're hooked to another and then they're hooked to a plow or something meaningful, you know what? Their energy can be used for something worthwhile. In the very same way with you and me. You know, all we are is just kind of a glory project. And we just do it our way. It's got to go our way. But we're willing to be yoked with Jesus then our life becomes meaningful. Then it has purpose. Then there's value. Then there's energy spent that the Lord can bless and make us into something better. And see, when we think of being yoked, we think of equals horse to horse. You know, yoking things together. But we got to remember, when we're yoked with Jesus, it's not equals. Jesus is so superior Jesus is so all-knowing and all-caring, we can't fathom it. This is, this is a different type of yoke. And uh, it makes it a lot of difference. No wonder he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Everyone that is yoked with Jesus and has learned how to live the humble, broken lifestyle will say that is the way I'm living it. When he turns left and it's a down a dark, dingy, rock pile road, we're not saying, Lord, why me here? All the rest are turning right on easy street. You know what? 
they'll have the fruits of living on easy street. And it's not the presence of God. Yes, he calls us down paths that sometimes we have no clue why. But when he's leading us, it's always best. It's always best. And broken people enjoy the arrangement. You're yoked with Jesus. What a blessing we can be that way. What a blessing we can be that way. You have to choose to be broken. We're not just naturally broken. You have to choose to be broken. And I'm glad we can be that way. See, ego needs to go. Selfish dreams got to go. You know, ego and pulling self up by our own bootstraps and talking about ourselves, that needs to go. Because we're here for God's glory. We're doing what he wants. We're cheerfully submissive. Okay. I like that because it challenges me because sometimes I'm submissive, but it's, well, let's just put it this way. It's not cheerful. Okay. Uh, it's, it's another way. It's grumbling and growling, you know. Praise God. We can be cheerfully submissive. Yes. It leads us to heaven. It's a good life here. It makes all the difference. No wonder it says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 21, If a man therefore purge himself of these things, he shall be a vessel unto an honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared into every good work. To imagine that God wants to work out in your life and mine to be all of his glory, bring forth good works to glorify him. And, and one of the ways that makes it stand out so beautifully today is when people aren't self-centered and that people, when they can get into a church, they put their heart into the church, they conform to the church, they work for God's glory in the church to bring Jesus' glory through the body. You know what? That's a transformed person because there's a lot of people that won't do that and they claim to be Christians. I praise God we can understand his ways for us to live today and aid us in walking humbly before him. Let's bow our heads for prayer.